Uh, it's been last week uh, a really high tension uh, court case that we were seeing unfold as Jesus brought four witnesses for his defense about who he was and how these witnesses individually and collectively indicated who he was as the Son of God. Now let's pick up in verse 1 and see this pivot that happened. Now after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. That is, it was coming up. I want to share with you, first of all, the precedent that we see. Tonight's message around the title, Recognizing the Truth for he, for What He Is. And uh, not, uh, not absentmindedly, we pick that. And I want to show you that we need to understand who Jesus is. Not who we think He is or who He ought to be, but who He is and who He's revealed Himself. Even these witnesses that we learned about in Jerusalem at the last lesson together, uh, He now continues to affirm to the people in general, the, the common man, is getting to see, again, his purpose was to reveal the Father's work. And as he does, the Father reveals exactly who he is. And as we begin, first of all, with this expression, what, what's the setup? Well, first of all, at Jerusalem, as we said, the Jews rejected him, even despite, if you will, the collaborating witnesses. I mean, they had clear proof. Now, we're about to see one of the greatest miracles of human history unfold in these next few verses. In fact, it's so important that it is the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. So to have that kind of significance, to have that kind of importance in the ministry of Christ, I think we, we need to spend some time understanding that. Now, the Jews had been seeing other miracles. They had been seeing signs, but they kept asking for signs. In fact, Paul was talking in uh, his letter to 1 Corinthians, or the first letter to the Corinthian church, is that the Jews require a sign. Well, they'd gotten They'd had many signs, and yet they continued to reject him. But here now on the, not likely the, the area near Capernaum on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, but across on more the northeast side, we see uh, him going. Uh, if you read all four, and, and I've been trying to do that all this week and, and, and making sure that I'm not missing anything of, of uh, help as we unfold this uh, scenario, this narrative in, uh, in our study. He's probably, again, Bethsaida, uh, which is the home uh, Philip, he's going to interact with Philip during our text tonight, as well as a close friend, Andrew. Uh, Andrew came right before Philip. If you remember in the calling of the disciples, they were acquaintances, if you will. And uh, Andrew, of course, was Simon Peter's younger brother as well. But here, near Bethsaida, away from Jerusalem, away from the political and the religious uh, uh real politics that were going on against Jesus, the mounting opposition, the people were following him because at Jerusalem he had done not only a few but several signs, several wonders, and many, many of them were healing ministry miracles. And so now what had been 
a growing crowd before was certainly larger now. And I don't know about you, but but I love ministry. I may have shared with you before, my friend down the hall here, Jamie Fish, we've been knowing each other since we were both just starting out in seminary, and that's been more years. I guess Methuselah was still romping around with his playmates, but it's been a long time. But uh, Jamie is uh, leads our, our biblical counseling ministry, and, and I just admire him. I, I appreciate him for all kinds of reasons. But one night, uh, or one, excuse me, one fortnight, uh, Cindy and Jamie, Wendy and I all wound up going to the Ukraine. Uh, this was pro, uh, pre-Russian invasion, by the way. It, just, it, it wasn't the last year, but actually it was about 14 years ago. And uh, as such, we were doing a church planting seminar in two different cities over a several-day period before returning to the States. And we were talking one night, and Cindy just says, you know, Jamie can have a full day, one right after the other, of folks coming in for counseling, and he comes in energized and just excited about the what God's done and excited about the just full of pep. And I was like, not me. <laughs> There's an outflow of ministry that takes place in those kind of circumstances. And, and yes, I understand it's Christ that fills me and, and allows me to t uh, help those folks if that's the case. But I can't imagine my ministry, and it is his, and he really does. He really does enjoy and appreciate and just get excited about what God is doing in people's life. But I'm telling you, there are times even for Jamie or me or anyone else, you, that you can get to the point where you've been serving and doing and, and following the Lord and, and doing what the Father has asked you to do, and, and you need to get away. And if you read the, the other gospel accounts of this circumstance, as it opens up in those gospels, Jesus had gotten away from the people, had, had just kind of sailed across the, the northern end of the Sea of Galilee and landed here near Bethsaida, thinking he was going to get away. He had actually gone up the mountain with his disciples, and then the crowd, knowing where he was headed and seeing him land, had gathered all the more with him. And he, you know, he could have said, guys, I, I just need y'all to back there. <laughs> I, I, I need some rest. He could have said that, but you know what? The Gospels, if you read them again, all four parallel fashion, he welcomed them. In one of the Gospels. He welcomed them. He said, with open arms, he welcomed them. And in more than one, he saw them and had compassion on them. And he began healing those who were sick and teaching them about the kingdom of God. He just kept at it. You know? He just, I've been doing this on and on and on. I just wanted to get a few. I just, I, I even because you were on foot, I, I sailed off thinking I was going to get a, a couple of days or maybe just a few hours and <laughs> now you're right back here. That's okay. I welcome you. Come on. Now, here's what we need to understand. <clears throat> that whether it was in Jerusalem with the arrogant elitists of the religious uh, ranks or whether it was the common people who were desperately in need of his help and didn't know where else to turn Everybody had some expectation of Jesus. And he could have, like many of us in our flesh, if he had been anything but King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if he had been anything else except 
the Christ, the Messiah, the one sin of God, fully God, fully man at the same time. If he'd been anything less than that, he could have just turned away, but he didn't. He welcomed them. In fact, one of the Gospels tells us that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Hmm. And then it says, look with me in verse 4. Now the Passover, that is the feast of the Jews, the, if you will, the feast of the Jews, was near. And on top of all their needs and their expectations of him, in the background, in the setting of this passage that we're about to dive into, the Passover is looming. The biggest celebration of the, of the year for the Jewish calendar. Now, when we think as Christians in 2023 about the Passover, we think about that night that Moses instructed the people of God to having taken in the lamb, having kept it for 14 days, on that 14th day of the first month of the year, they were to slay that lamb, roast it, and eat all of it. If anything was left over, it was not to be eaten or kept or put in a, a baggie to take home. It was to be thrown out and burned. And we think about saying Passover, and we think about that the, the Holy Spirit, the, the angel of death, passed over the land of Egypt, and anyone's house who did not have the blood on the post and lentils of the entrance, that house would be subjected not only to the loss of the firstborn child, but also every firstborn animal's uh, offspring would die as well. It was a massive loss to those who were unfaithful and unbelieving. But you and I, we can, we can say, well, that's the Passover. No, in Jewish minds, at this point, Passover had to do with that entire Exodus event uh, series. From the pre-Exodus when Moses was standing before Pharaoh to their leaving that night after the, the morning after the Passover, uh, to the crossing of the Red Sea, to the wilderness wanderings, to the 40 years of, of waiting for God to let them in because of their uh, lack of faith, and then finally the entrance into the promised land. It was a long and celebrated history that they had, and just part of it was the focus of Passover. But as such, there's a lot to be said because the one who heard after 400 plus years of Egyptian bondage, the growing heartfelt cries of his people was the same one who looked with compassion upon them and let, and let them come to him and met their needs. And in a moment we're going to see how, just like Moses, the prophet that was the great emancipator had seen through his faithfulness, through his intercession before the Father, had seen the people of God, though they murmured for it, though they complained about their circumstances, God provided for them that entire 40 years daily with what they needed to eat in the form of manna, and when needed, even meat just fell out of the sky. You know, that's the one. The references, the, the parallels here cannot be missed. That's the present. That's the background, the setting, if you will, this afternoon. In fact, I just want to tell you, when, when we hear that Jesus was moved with compassion as he saw these people, at the end of his 
physical human strength, you might say, but his deity, his eternality, his wholehearted God. Looked upon them with compassion. And this word, this word used for showing compassion that the Gospels use in this reference of, of the, right before the feeding of the 5,000. I know, you know, people say the reason the church is in trouble is because we speak in Greek, sing in Latin, and, you know, nobody understands what we're talking about. But I just want to share with you that there's one word more than any other in the New Testament that is translated for our ears and our reading, compassion. It's the word <laughs> uh, spunk. I'm going to say it wrong. Spunk me zomai. Now you say, so what? <laughs> it's the most frequent word. Listen to me. It's the most frequent word that God chose to inspire the writers of the New Testament to use. And nine, it was used 12 different times throughout the New Testament. Nine of them, nine, three quarters of the time it's used, it's specifically referring to the compassion of Christ when he looked upon the people in their need. The, the base word, the root word in that long Greek word has the idea of intestine or womb. It is a reference in the Greek language to the, the, that you feel something in your gut. You know, oh, that was a gut punch. That's exactly the kind of thing that the word in the Greek language conveys. And you say, well, why are you telling us that? Because that's exactly what Jesus, the lasting one, the everlasting one, the Lord of lords and King of kings, and yet the one who saw people with, as sheep without a shepherd and, and was willing to be their shepherd if they would come to him. Oh, friends, this compassion overwhelmed. And it overrode any kind of, well, you know, it would be nice if I could just lay down for a while. Is it'd be nice, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an extrovert or an introvert. I'm just me. I'm God of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. I, I am the great I am, but it's still in my humanity. It'd be nice if you folks would just give me a break. But you know what? The gut reaction to seeing your need, not to what you're doing to me, but seeing you as sheep without a shepherd overwhelms me to the point that I'm willing to continue to minister that's the pressure. That's the groundwork, the foundation of what's behind what is about to unfold. Now look at me in verse 5. He says there, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, and seeing that the large crowd was coming to him, looked over at Philip and said, Now, now you have to understand, again, Philip was from Bethsaida. What scholars tell us was the nearest town to where they were standing. He said, You know, you're a local. Where do the locals eat? That kind of approach. Where are we to buy bread so that these may... Now, a little clue here. If you read the other three Gospels, you'll find out that the disciples had already come to him saying, uh, Lord, we <laughs> it's getting late. And these folks have been out here a long time. They've been waiting in line for you to heal them. They've been listening to you as you teach. They, they, they've been with us all day. And because they've been in here, they haven't been at home. And, and because they, the, many of them are far from home, they're going to have to find a place for nourishment. 
Even if they camp out overnight, they've got to find some food somewhere. But why don't we just send them in whatever direction they want? Let, let, you know, hey guys, you know, scatter and find supper. Now that's the precedent again. That's that's the, the change from what we've seen as the background of this moment. And now we're right there in the thick of it. And the first thing we see John say, not what he wasn't about to mention anything he and the boys had, had offered as a solution. But he begins with the question: where are we to buy bread? He starts with the Lord. Then he tells what the Lord did. Where are we to buy bread, Philip? So so that these may eat. What do you think, Philip? Now I know some of you, many of you are business people. Some of you may even be, uh, and I don't have any, any clue, some of you may be now or have been in days gone by, uh, executives. And you were, as you went through your career, you were given books by perhaps a, a supervisor or somebody said, hey, this is a new thing. We're going to try and implement this. And one of those was a, a book called QBQ. I don't know if you remember that. But QBQ was written, and the, the, the letters are a reference to finding out the, re the real way to make progress, the real way to build teams and to move things forward in your business, this author would, would uh, submit, was to know the question behind the question. QBQ. Well, let me just share with you right here and right now, Jesus came up with it first. <laughs> because he really wasn't asking Philip, uh, what's the best place to eat? You know, it, do you know if there's a Cracker Barrel around here? <laughs> That's not what he's asking. But what we see is neither does Philip understand what he's asking. He didn't get the question behind the question because his mind, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to answer the question at hand or the one behind it because he had his own mind racing. I, he called on me. Oh my goodness, I, I guess I am the, the one that's lived here the longest and knows the lay of the land. But, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? And he said, look with me. Philip, in verse 6, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Again, the QBQ. But Philip answered him, 200 denarii, Worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. That is, for everyone to receive a crumb. He said, and we'll find out later, there's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And oh, by the way, a day's wage, a denarii, a, a year's worth of work days, a whole year's salary couldn't buy enough just bread of any kind for these many people to get more than just a crumb. We, we can't. That wasn't a question. It's not, he didn't ask Philip, how are we going to pay for the food that's coming? I've already catered it, and, and I just need you to write the check. Right, we do have enough. Talk with, uh, talk, talk with the treasurer. See if he's got the check ready. Now it wasn't that. He said, he's asking, Philip, where do you think these people's source is? 
Who do you believe is the Jehovah Jireh of their lives? Let me just submit to you, these are his disciples. These aren't spectators that come once or twice a year to find out what the master is preaching on that week. These are the close circle. The only group that's closer are the three that eventually were called out to go with him a little farther in the Garden of Gethsemane. But these are the ones that he's looking to and saying, Philip, you're representing. I'm not really picking on you, but, but just answer me this question. But he was seen with physical eyes and human eyes, and his mind was on the horizontal instead of the vertical. Basically, he was saying, look with me. 200 denarii worth of bread, a, a whole year's salary, just of bread alone. I mean, Sunbeam couldn't get it to us in, in the time frame that we need. And bunny bread is not going to get here on time. But even if we could, it costs us a, a full working man's wage for a year to pay for it. And there's no way we can do that. And that wouldn't even satisfy them. Now, his, his friend, Andrew, jumps in, trying to encourage his brother and take the heat a little bit, maybe. And he says, look at me again in verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, that is said to the Lord, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? <laughs> I'm kind of with Philip, Lord. It's probably, it's, it's just impossible. It's an insurmountable challenge you've laid before us. But if I had any effort at all, I, I know I can't really provide the answer, but here's all I got. I found a boy who brought a few loaves. The word is used here to describe the loaves is made out of barley. Let me just say, barley was the cheapest and least desirable bread roll that you'd want at the time. It was the bread of the poor. And these fish, we're not talking about, you know, five, six pound largemouth bass. We're likely talking about sardine-sized minnows. Some scholars even say that, that the word can be also used as a, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I know you're going to enjoy this, a fish relish that is smattered or splattered over a piece of bread. It's just a, it's, it's a way to stretch out even the minute fish supply that you have. Now remember that we can't escape the fact of where they are. They're out in the middle of nowhere. The, the terms used in the Gospels to describe this place, it is a desolate place. You've got a desolate place with desperate, hungry thousands of people. And the boys have said, we don't have enough denarii. We don't have enough bread. We don't have enough fish. This is a disaster. 
there's we have been we have we may be on top of the mountain, but we're we're in a corner, and there's no way out of this. Again, thinking horizontally, that my friends was the predicament. I'm not advocating this particular novelist, but the story is told of novelist Anne Rand, or Anne Rand. She had mesmerized a student audience at Yale University one evening with her prickly ideas. Afterward, a reporter from Time Magazine asked her, Ms. Rand, what's wrong with the modern world? Without hesitation, she replied, Never before has the world been so desperately asking for answers to crucial questions, and never before has, there, has the world been so frantically committed to the idea that no answers are possible. <coughs> to paraphrase the Bible, she continued, the modern attitude is, Father, forgive us, for we know not what we are doing, and please don't tell us. That's where the world is in many ways. That's the situation that we see in some form or fashion in this moment. We're not looking to the true source even as your best disciples, your closest compadres. But guess what? We're still going to look horizontally for the answer without recognizing who you've already brought witnesses for the defense just days ago showing exactly who you are, the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent of God, his ambassador, his savior of the world. We came following you over these last many months because you were the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but we're still looking forward on it. Let me tell you, the problem in the world is not the world. Now, I know there's problems because they're fallen, and I understand that. But the problem of, that we don't, have, the reason we don't have solutions, the, the perplexity that we're in is not that there aren't answers. We just don't want to hear them. I listen to Christian radio and uh, Christian podcasts, and many of those are. Um, Looking at the the, the the world situation, Let me put it that way. I know you've heard about the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. You understand now that as of as of last night, the best report I could have was over forty one thousand folks have gone out and returned. And they're still having earthquakes, even within the last 48 hours. On a global geopolitical stage, there are so many. You realize that our long-term nemesis, Russia, has now walked away from the last of the peace treaties, arms agreements. The world is run by lunatics. If that weren't problem enough, if the, if, if the earth shaking under our feet wasn't bad enough, if the foundations be destroyed, how can the righteous stand? 
Not only, listen, not only physically, but spiritually. The CDC of our American government, which over the last three years, I just don't, I have about as much faith in them as, as far as I can throw one of them. And I'd really like to throw one of them. <laughs> I'd really like to try. We've been lied to, harassed. We've, we've had a lot of things happen. But the CDC continues other parts of its work. One of that over the last um, about 20 years, I believe, uh, going on 15 to 20 years, they've been doing every two years a study. The study is coming out later this spring for 2023. But early reports are, because this is the first time that the CDC has asked, and it's a survey of high school, youth, youth risk behavior survey. You can look it up, youth risk behavior survey. It's not, this one's come, not come out, but uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to gave some of the statistics that are being kind of as uh, precursors to the full report. I tell you this because it's the first time in these every two-year studies that they have included questions with, and, and the designation, do you identify as a boy, a girl, or a transgender LGBTQ <laughs> that alphabet soup kind of thing. <laughs> and let me tell you, the reason I bring this up is not to condemn, but to just break your hearts with me, that our hearts like Christ would be moved with compassion and we would stop looking around us for the answers that only come from above. Here's the statistics. That one, I believe, 35% of all those who answered, uh, excuse me, let me back up. 35% of those who designated that they identified as either male or female, 35% of those students in high school, and I think there's something like 18,000 surveys were submitted, they are, they are blind, double blind. They're not given, they're, not, they're, te they're given permission by the authority of the school, the, the parents sign off on this, but nobody knows who answered the specific survey? So we think, you know, all things being equal, these students are probably being as honest as they can be or want to be because they know no one's going to be able to find out who answered what way. But those who identified as either male or female in a traditional sense, 35% of them have considered, planned, and have actively prepared to take their lives over the last two years. But those who either did not answer that they identified as a male or female or positively identified as a transgender LGBTQT plus whatever, 69% had considered, planned, and prepared for in the last year to take their own life. Gay is not gay. God's, you see, we've been trying so hard for the last two or three generations. To, well, you know, kids are going to be kids, and when they grow up, they'll settle down, and they're not. What's taught in the college classroom becomes 
the land's law in the next generation. You understand that they are being taught by people with a not neutral agenda, but a very, very pagan, diabolical agenda that you need to be free to express yourself. If you want to, if you want to say you're a platypus, okay. <laughs> That's fine. And we call it freedom, and it is bondage. It doesn't make you free. It corrodes, corrupts, and condemns you to a life that has no peace, has no joy, has no favor from God. We need to stop sitting on the sidelines as parents and grandparents and begin to read and study God's Word and make different choices because doing the same thing we've done up to this point is not making any difference. In fact, it is the absolute definition of insanity for us to think that we can go on as a nation of adults and saying that we can absolutely allow a 10-year-old who doesn't know which way is up to decide things that are going to affect the rest of their lives and ruin their lives before they ever start. You say, why are you talking about this? This is What about the fact, I mean, feeding them 5,000, that's what we're talking about. We are in a desolate and desperate moment. And we need to stop looking to ourselves and our abilities to answer the crises of our day. We need to look to the Lord. We need to ask Him. And when we say, pass me not, O gentle Savior, do not. Oh, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. If you want to live in light of eternity, you've got to start living intentionally. <clears throat> Hey, folks, that may mean stop doing what some of the things we've been doing. Oh, you're saying we've just been drunk. No, I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I think we need to do some things right. We talk about kids that that walk around with their phones like this. You've even seen the commercial about the guy that walks out in front of the street and he gets mad at the car that almost runs him over because he wasn't looking where he was going. We've gotten to that point, not just our kids, but every age group. We spend more time looking at screens, watching our thing, or doing our own thing, instead of saying, you know what, if I'm going to live in the light of eternity, none of this stuff that I can put my hands on is going with me. But the people that I love best, they're the ones that are, can and, and are called by God. He would that all men should be saved. So I don't have to worry, do my, do my children have an opportunity to know God? Yes. Do my grandchildren, do my great-grandchildren? Yes. We need to stop living about, oh, you know, I should have done that when I was there, you know, this age and when they were small and when they were home and, you know, things got away and I, you know, I'm just, that's just past. No! I'm a grandparent. Praise the Lord. I hope to be a great grandparent as well. I wouldn't put that designation on myself, but if you think you're a great grandparent, great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know what you mean. But the reality is, if my children and grandchildren have not been fully transformed by the life of Christ, then it's on me to be a consistent encourager in that direction. Amen. 
And the best way that I can do that is to be sold out to him as well. That means I do see, do things differently. I don't just say, well, you know, I, I'm going to pray for them like I always do. Yes, pray for them. But it is high time. It's way past time that the church got off its knees. Don't, I didn't say stop praying. And started getting out of our closets and telling our children, thus saith the Lord. That's right. Because I'm not going to tell you where to go. I'm going to ask you to come along with me. I'm going to follow him. Come along with me. Come along with me. And you say, I've, I've had broken relationships. My children aren't going to listen to me. Then you start loving Jesus so much that he catches you aflame and they come to watch you burn. That's where we need to be. You see, the people were desperate. They were out in a desolate landscape. You know, nobody said anything about what, what was happening in those folks' minds. We don't know. And I don't want to make an argument out of silence. But I bet there was some mother with two or three kids that were coming along with her. And she was saying, Daniel, hold up. The kids aren't coming along as fast as you all. And she's the one looking around and saying, it's two miles ago that I saw the last village that might have even had a place to buy a loaf of bread. I don't know any mother even in a revival moment that doesn't have an acute awareness of where her children are in that type setting and how they are in that type setting. And I tell you, the one who didn't know his left from his right hand sure know where his stomach was. When he was too young to know right from wrong, he still knew, I'm hungry, mama. There were a lot of folks that understood how far out they had gone. And yet there was such a draw. Such this, this is the one who we are so desperate. We are so needy that we've looked everywhere else. We know we've passed it all. We put it all, all that other stuff is never satisfied, never supplied what we need. But it seems as if this man, Jesus, might be able to do it. And yes, friends, he can. Not only was there the precedent, not only was there the predicament that they found themselves in, but look with me in verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. His heart was moved with compassion, the other gospels tell us, because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were just scattered. And instead of saying, just scatter them all the more, just send them out. Philip, you're, you're the one that lives by. Tell them which road to go to to get to the closest community. Now, you know you can't send all 5,000 of those men and their families in one place. So spread them out. Scatter them around the whole area. To find. No, he didn't say that. I was reading this one, this passage in John. I, I just, I wish I, I wish I could come up with this stuff on my own. I don't. But the Lord brought to my remembrance that famous passage, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't scatter me around. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, this passage here in chapter 6 of John reminds us this is the one who's the shepherd of the soul. Not only do we see the precedent and predicament, but verses 10 and following again. Now there was a 
much, there was much grass, green pastures, in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, isn't that a wonderful picture? You can see he's up, because of the way it was common, the teacher would sit at a higher point as the students were blown. You know, when you go to college, you have those big lecture halls and everybody's on stages and the, the seats go up and up like a theater. That wasn't the way to the ancient Middle East. The, the preacher teacher would be at the top and they would be listening downwind. And he, would, he sat down with them and he broke the bread and he lifted it up to the Father and acknowledged that it was him that provided. And he gave it to the disciples and they went around and just kept giving pieces of bread. Kept passing it. Well, here, you take some and you pass it out. Oh, and get some others to help you. Until the entire crowd of 5,000 men, women and children not included, some estimate somewhere between 15 and 20,000 based on the fact that they didn't believe in two kids, a dog, and a picket fence back then. They knew that the first command that God had given before the Ten Commandments, the first command God had given mom and dad, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let me just say one more time. We need to do things differently, intentionally. Amen. We need to stop worrying about our carbon footprint and stop and start worrying about what does God call us to do. Do you know why Europe is being overrun by pagan religionists? Because they believe in having a lot of children. France being overwhelmed by people who do not have a Western mindset, who do not even claim the God of Christianity that swept Europe centuries ago. But they're overwhelming because they're just populating. I don't know about you, but that sounds like simple math to me, and I'm not even a mathematician. Children are a blessing, not a burden. Amen. Children are a reward. <clears throat> not, not a judgment against you. Anyway, we need to move on. I'm going to get off on something and not get done. Amen. Well, no, hold me. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish as, they, as much as they wanted. Get that? As much as they wanted. Philip said, we couldn't spend a year's salary and buy enough bread to give anybody more than a crumb. And now they've eaten all they wanted. After having been there all day, walking with him and finally sitting down and listening to him teach about the kingdom of God, according to the scriptures. <laughs> and now they've eaten everything they wanted. When they were, look with me in verse 12, when they were filled, I mean, folks, what I see here in these two verses alone is that these had, these folks had that after Thanksgiving dinner feel. Oh, I shouldn't eat that much. <laughs> he said to the, his disciples, now, again, after they ate all they wanted, they were filled. He then tells his disciples, 
Go, go gather up the leftover fragments or the broken pieces. It, it's not like get that gnawed off piece of fish. That's not what he's saying. The people would break it, the bread, the fish, and they kept handing it out. Now you say it's still, you know, still probably not just clean. Okay, it's not going to meet USDA standards. But the reminder was not about how pure the food was. It was about how good and abundant and perfect the provision was. They couldn't have done it on their own. There was no way that that many thousands of people were going to be fed, and especially not to the point of being stuffed. But God did it. That's the kind of abundant supply that he's willing to make when it serves his glory and our good. He goes on, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. There's a stewardship. God often gives us things far, you know, the Bible says if, far, if he gives us far beyond what we need. The Bible says if you have food to eat and clothes to wear, therein be content. It doesn't even mention a roof over your head. It doesn't mention a Roth IRA. It doesn't mention that car you've saved up for and finally been able to enjoy. The Bible says if, if you have food to eat today and clothes to wear today, be content. Everything above that, that's icing on the cake. That's abundance. We live in an abundant time. Amen. Yes, I understand all the economic news. I understand all you know policies and all those kind of things affect what we do. But guess what? And I grew up in the shadow of the Appalachians. Okay. No, I don't play a banjo. <laughs> yes, most of my life I've worn shoes. But let me just share with you, even the poorest in America are rich by comparison to most of the rest of the world. And I'm not saying they don't have hard times in America. I understand there's, there's things that, that are profoundly heartache, heartbreaking in our own country. But let me just share with you, if you and I have food to eat and clothes on our back, we need to learn to be content and thank God for his abundance in addition to those things. He goes on to say in verse 13, So they gathered them up, just like he said, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. <laughs> they ate until they didn't want any more, until they were filled, and there were still 12 baskets full. That little boy's basket probably wasn't full the first time he walked up to Jesus with Philip and Andrew. Probably had extra space. Could have mom didn't have a lot, but she gave him what she could spare for the me to be out all day. The word lad is a small child. We don't even know if he was there alone. It could have been that he was so young that he was with his parents as well. And they they had, maybe they were just trying to make do with what they had in the house as they left, knowing that the, the one Jesus had, had come to the area and they were going to follow after him. They'd been waiting for him to be in the area. So they wanted to see him. We don't know all the circumstances, but let me just share with you. Twelve baskets gathered after 
the feeding of the 5,000 along with the women and children is phenomenal. And God doesn't say, well, you know, I'm just going to bless. I'm just going to pour out abundantly, supernaturally. And you just do whatever you want with it, and I'm going to walk away. No, no, no. Listen, I, I overwhelmingly minister to those, every last person that's here, and then some. And I don't know, and we're not told what happened to those 12 baskets. Did the guys take them and one, one on each of their backs, or maybe one on each of their, in each of their arms? We don't know. But the disciples took them. Whether they wound up eating that dried fish or that fish relish or whatever it was, and those barley loaves that were thick with moisture, but just... When the Greeks would tell their students, if you don't meet the standard, then your ration here at school today will be barley. It was a punishment. But but for those that were hungry... (laughs) It was life. Finally, we need to see the perception. Verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming to the world. Now, we've already heard that ask of John by the Jews. The expectation that a prophet like unto Moses was going to follow after him one day. And he would be another great emancipator, a freedom giver. And now these people say, listen, if he can put a chicken in every pot, he needs to be king. If he needs to, if he can give us fish and bread at this level, thousands and thousands at one moment, that's the kind of Messiah we want. That's the prophet we've been waiting for. And look what they did. 15 says, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. In closing, yes, the sign, the attesting miracle to his identity as the Messiah was right there before them, no doubt. If they being Jews and unlike the elite in Jerusalem, they were just common people and they put two and two together and meant four. Not that new math kind of stuff they do in Jerusalem, but right here in on the side of the lake of Gal- or Sea of Galilee, we know two and two still equals four. Look, we've seen what he's done. This is the prophet who was predicted would come. We're finally going to get free. Just like our forefathers had Moses to set them free. Here's the one that's going to set us free. Throw off the yoke of old Roman Empire rule. We're going to be once again known to the nations of God's people. Blessed by him. And the, So Jesus, understanding by observing what he was seeing in their gesture, you know, what, 80, 85% of our communication is nonverbal? And we're talking about the one who's observing is Jesus. So he's pretty insightful, you know what I mean? And he probably overheard some of the close conversations as well. And he perceived that they were about, get this, to take him by force to make him king. <laughs> oh, 
Don't you know Jesus was looking back at them and saying, I've always been king. I'm always going to be king. You don't make or unmake me. I'm, I'm not ever going to be impeached. I'm never going to resign. You're never going to dethrone me. I'm king. But let me tell you this. You cannot, listen to me friends, you cannot take him by force. He must be received by faith. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do. It is a gift to be received. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's exactly right. You see, friends, the point here is that everything he's doing at this moment in his ministry, in fact, throughout his earthly ministry, was not to impress you, but that you might receive him. Not that you would be fed in a moment, but that you would know him to be the bread of your life always. Our kids, let me circle around back to one state. You and I need to understand when it comes to influencing others, our kids, our grandkids, our great grandkids, you cannot transform a person, and a person cannot be transformed. Until they know Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's the first thing. So stop pussyfooting around with your responsibilities to share the gospel with everyone who you have influence on. I'm not asking you to become Billy Graham or Mrs. Ruth Graham. I'm not asking you to be somebody you're not, but every one of us has people who we can influence. And sometimes we need to come at it right on. I mean, they're the kind of person that they just need to hit a Mack truck. Okay? And you just have to spell it out for them. Planes, like Dr. Rogers used, big, plain, and straight. And others need to be loved on. Some today use the term they've been de-churched. They were around the church. They were part of the church. They were drugged to church. I tell people I've always had a drug problem. My parents drove me to church all the time. But the reality is, until that person knows Jesus Christ, and they're thinking about all the issues of our day, are going to be skewed by the heart that is unregenerated. And until they see the light of Christ, in fact, the psalmist says it this way, in your life, we see light. We can't see clearly. I'm not saying that every person that doesn't know Jesus Christ does everything bad and, and is wicked to the core in the sense that they everything they do is bad. But I'm telling you, people without Christ don't see truth. So until they come to know the one who is the truth, they're not going to understand what's true about every other area of life. So instead of hoping that your kids are going to come back around, go after them. You've been sent out to what? Go and tell not wait around until they come and hear. Amen. 